The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Some kind of love I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand. Uh, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling. We'll be speaking with Chen in just a moment. And then in the, in the final moments of today's two-hour show, we'll have uh, Roger Wiegand on to uh, give his technical views of the market. Chen's going to talk to us in a couple of minutes. I have a notion he's going to talk a little bit about the gold market, which is on fire today. Gold is up over 18 bucks. the last I saw at the, at a, on a day when the equity market is getting uh, hammered pretty hard. The Dow's down around 150 points, S&P down 18, NASDAQ down 40. So it's really a very uh, bad day for the bulls on Wall Street. should mention that we do have this uh, ongoing one-time only introductory offer for all three of our newsletters, my newsletter, Roger Wiegand's newsletter, Chen Lin's newsletter. Uh, you can get this special introdu- introductory one-time only uh, offer by calling Claudio Bossi. That's my assistant here in New York, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Or you can simply go to our website at miningstocks.com to learn more about these publications. We'd like to call your attention to what is perhaps the best website to access my activities as well as all of the newsletters I just mentioned. And that's a website uh, called jtaylormedia.com, and that's spell out my first name, J-A-Y, taylormedia.com. There you can also access this radio show very easily. There's a button that just says, simply says radio show. Click on that, and it will take you right to this website uh, that you're listening to me on now. Video interviews that I've done with several gold mining companies that I think have Real uh, upside potential, I, uh, about a couple of months ago, filmed the CEOs. We did some CEO interviews in Valdor, Quebec, and uh, there are three or four of them posted up there at, uh, at J. Taylor Media. Uh, there will be a couple of more coming on in the next few days. You can also see uh, 
TV clips of yours truly. I've been on CNBC, Fox Business, and BNN talking about mostly about gold, about the markets in general and the dire straits our economy and our policymakers have put us into with Keynesian economics as opposed to Austrian school economics, which is the uh, the theory that I think is most real, uh, most in touch with reality. But you can get uh, access, as I say, to all three of our newsletters, our radio show, uh, video interviews that I've done with companies, um, and also TV clips uh, of yours truly on various networks. I should mention that there are three junior exploration uh, company videos, and the three that are up there now, Adventure Gold, and I'm going to be talking to Stefan Leboulianek. He is the chairman of Adventure Gold in just a few minutes. Abcourt Mines, uh, a company uh, with properties in Quebec, and Metanor Resources, all three of those companies, you can view my interview with the, C with the uh, executives from those companies, and all three of those have activities in Quebec. Uh, again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Thanks uh, to you because you have made this the number one show on the Voice America uh, business channel by a long ways. We're number one. Also, of course, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show logistically uh, or financially possible, I should say. Uh, the sponsors for the first hour, Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Coral Gold, North Atlantic Resources, American Bonanza, Palangio Exploration, Millrock Resources, Revolution uh, Resources, and Uranium Energy. One of the crimes of the current monetary policy, and I do think it is a crime, what's going on, the policymakers, uh, the policies that are being implemented, I think they're criminal because they are penalizing savers and rewarding people who spend beyond their means. Those of us who subscribe to the Austrian School of Economics believe policies that push interest rates to artificially low levels not only serve to misallocate capital, but that it also discourages, or discourages in a big, big way capital formation, and it is a form of wealth, wealth transfer from those who work hard and save their money to those who loaf and like to spend and live beyond their means. And this, I think, is really uh, causing a lot of trouble in our economy. This is... Um, uh, it's a very perverse Keynesian economic policy, frankly. That's what we've been running under uh, for the last number of decades, and it threatens to bring all of us down. I believe this is a macroeconomic topic that we talk about from time to time, uh, and in the near future, we will be having some very more, some very interesting people in the show who can talk to the degenerate nature of our economic policy. And I'm thinking of Lieutenant General William Boykin, who will be with us on December 15th. He'll talk about how America is, uh, its policy is uh, really smacks of Marxist policies. And we are moving down, according to General Boykin, down the same road. I'm thinking also of John Loftus, uh, who will, the author, author of a book titled America's Nazi Secret. He's going to be with us on the uh, December 7th. Uh, and, and these are fellows that are talking about policies, and, and I think the policies that are really uh, penalizing those that work hard and save their money and rewarding those who loaf and want to live beyond their means. Uh, but uh, in the process, of course, how this has been implemented is artificially low interest rates that, uh, that really hurt people that have worked hard. They've got their savings. They're retired now. They have a hard time putting food on the table. They were depending on their savings and income from the savings, but they can't get anything for their savings under Bernanke's policies and Greenspan before him. So we have today as our main guest Roger Conrad. He's the author of The Canadian Edge and The Utility Forecaster. Uh, he'll have some definite ideas on how, even in this environment, you can get a reasonably good yield on your savings, uh, perhaps as high as 10%, 8 or 10%. 
uh, and do it with limited risk. So later in the second hour, um, we'll be talking to Roger Conrad both this hour and in the second hour. Uh, later in the second hour, I'm going to talk to Frank Bassa. He's the president and CEO of Gold Bullion Development Corp. And that's a company that is seems to be on to a major discovery, a major gold discovery uh, in Quebec. Also, Adventure Gold is going to be with us, as I mentioned, in just a few minutes. And Adventure Gold has a property that is contiguous with this, uh, this apparent major discovery that gold bullion development is making. More than that, it seems to be almost certain, in my view, uh, that the uh, that the gold mineralization on gold bullion's uh, property extends onto Adventure Gold's property. Adventure Gold has a number of other properties too, uh, with a market cap of just around 20 million. I think Adventure Gold looks to be a really good speculative buy. But we'll be talking to Stefan Labulianek in just a few minutes. But before we get to Stefan, I want to welcome Chen Lin. Uh, Chen, we have a couple of minutes here. Can you just give me an idea? What do you think is going on in today's market? With the Dow getting hammered really hard, I see it's down 153 with gold up 18 bucks or so. What is going on in your view? Yes, hi, Jay. Um, I, I, what I heard was, you know, a couple of weeks ago, about two weeks ago, the hedge fund thinks that gold already peaked. So there are some hedge funds uh, I know of that are shorting, actually shorting gold. Okay, mm -hmm. they think, you know, gold basically down, they believe 14 something was the high of the year, and then they can shot the gold into, you know, next year, all the way for the next few months. So, uh, so there was, uh, you know, and then the gold was hit very, very hard, and then there was a lot of stop order was triggered. But today, and in the past few days, especially today, uh, starting a couple of days ago, gold started to rise, even as with a stronger dollar. So people start to recognize, you know, the, there's some, Europe, they say Euro, Euro is very weak because European nations, you know, the, the big nation, the island now in trouble, Portugal next, Spain next. But look at the United States. Look at the muni bond market. It's already crashed. There are mm -hmm. people talking about the Fed may, may do a QE3 just to save all the states and the municipal right. bond market. Because they crash, the same thing as Ireland. They cannot refinance. All the states mm -hmm. of California, New York, New Jersey, and others, they cannot refinance. Right, so they basically bankrupt. So the Fed may have to print more money to save them. So you say U.S. dollar strong, it's relatively, you know, you know, less stink. So yeah, but gold is ultimate currency. So today, like today, you can see gold actually stronger than U.S. dollar. So the dollar was up today, Chen, and gold was up even more than the dollar. Is that right? Exactly, dollars up big. So uh, the dollar, so week. so gold is up against virtually all currencies today. Or most exactly. currents, anyway. Yeah. That's the best time for the gold miners. It's, it's, it's the best time for people producing gold, especially outside the United States, because their gold edge price actually went up much more than the U.S. dollar term. Well, Chen, have you seen the other markets, let's say the base metal markets today? How did they fare? Has copper been down today, oil and some of those things down today? Yeah, well, I don't follow copper that closely. I follow uh -huh. oil down a little bit, oil not much, oil down a little bit. Um, the things I, I'm hearing uh, from China is uh, the inflation is very high. Uh, the, the people getting panic because you see the food, you know, all this inflation, all this stuff you use uh, rise 20, 30, 40% in a month. Uh, people get scared. There's massive withdrawal from the banking system. Basically, people think the bank, more money will worth less. So they'd rather use the money to buy the necessity, you know. So basically, the housewife they just go just 
just clean up the supermarket. They buy all these necessary stuff they need for the next few months. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it just start happening. So I think this would be a positive actually for other commodity as well besides oh. gold. And mm-hmm. in addition, I also heard people going to gold shop. They just buy every every ounce of gold. You know, they they put in the car and then they drive away. So yeah. that's another thing I heard. So so they, I think you know this this thing uh, is a look from the China. If you just purely from China point of view, uh, this uh, commodity should be uh, very very positive for commodity stocks, mm-hmm. including gold. Well. Uh, I know, Chen, you uh, you and I have had some differences of opinion on this inflation-deflation play. You have always uh, been more of an inflationist, and you've certainly been, you've certainly been right uh, since the Lehman, post-Lehman Brothers uh, recovery. We've seen uh, you know, the reflation play, the risk, the risk trade, as they, some people call it, really doing quite well. And you've done very well also for your, for your subscribers this year. So uh, I want people to realize that... Uh, Chen is putting his money where his mouth is, and he's also telling other people where he's putting his money. And you've you've done quite well this this year, Chen. Uh, congratulations! Uh, the year is not over, of course. We've got another month and a half or so to go here yet, but uh, so far so good. Yeah, thank you, Jay. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit more cautious actually about two weeks. Hi, Jay. Yeah. Okay. Ahead, I think we, we are off, right? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. 
The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Mill Rock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Mill Rock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Mill Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX Exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the Treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further information. As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources Traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Berry Mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake Mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really privileged to have with me uh, today Stefan Leboyanek. Uh, he is the chairman of Adventure Gold, Inc., Adventure Gold Inc. trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol AGE. Uh, over the counter in the United States, it's AGONF. About 49.5 million shares outstanding. Uh, last I checked, uh, at least the start of the day, it was about 40 cents. It may have gone up a bit because gold, as I mentioned earlier in the show, is having a very strong day. Anyway, it leaves uh, Adventure Gold with a market cap of only about $20 million, which I think is very low given uh, the properties that the company has. And we're going we're gonna to talk to Stefan about that in just a moment or two. Now, the company is operating in northwestern Quebec and northeastern Ontario. This is one of the richest gold deposit areas in the world. And Quebec in particular, I think, is probably the best jurisdiction to operate in North America because of its uh, pro-mining politics. It also has all the infrastructure. It's got lots of gold, great geology. It's got people. It's got water. It's got uh, relatively inexpensive power. All the things you need uh, to make the ounces in the gold worth the most, more than they are worth in many other parts of the world. 
Uh, Mr. Leboyanek's uh, professional career has mostly been that of a financier, and he has a very good business sense. And uh, I just recently joined the uh, joined the board. In fact, he had just joined the board of directors uh, and joined as chairman uh, when I met up with him in uh, Valdor, Quebec, back in uh, September. Or, uh, yes, back in mid September, September thirteenth. Anyway, you can watch that interview that I did with. Uh, Marco Gagnon, the president of the company, is, uh, and he's a geologist as well as Stefan. Again, if you go to jtaylormedia.com. Well, anyway, enough about me and enough about that. Uh, welcome, Stefan, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Yeah, thank you, Jay, for this uh, introduction. Well, it's really good to have you. Uh, you know, I, just, I think just for a little bit of good humor, we should tell the uh, listening audience uh, where you're speaking to us from. Yeah, well, I had some uh, funerals uh, currently, you know, uh, a small city between Montreal and Val d'Or, and uh, uh, just nearby the, the church, uh, there is a police station, so a friend of mine over there is a policeman, so he had the mission to to kidnap me and, uh, <laughs> and put me in jail, quote to quote, to, to make this phone call. <laughs> well, I don't think you're in jail. I hope you're on the right side of the bars, aren't you, Stefan? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, you guys are really, it seems to me, you've really got a very exciting story going on here. Uh, a, new, uh, a new project that you picked up, uh, the Granada Extension property. Actually, when I first uh, told my subscribers about Adventure Gold, you were selling about half the price you're selling at now, but you hadn't yet picked up the Granada Extension property. Uh, you know, in the second hour today, I'm actually going to be talking to uh, the president of Gold Bullion, who has the Granada property, where they are seemingly on to discovery of a fairly significant gold deposit. But it seems as though, if correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, the Granada extension property, that property that you recently acquired, uh, is contiguous with this big discovery. And it seems as though uh, all, the indica all the indications so far suggests that the gold that's there extends on to the gold mineralization, or at least the structures that contain it, extend on to your property. What can you tell our listeners about the Granada Extension property? Uh, yeah, well, as you know, we were having, and thanks to our, our team of geologists already, we had a very strong portfolio of properties, you know, with, uh, uh, with good agreements uh, with uh, senior companies like uh, Lakeshore Gold and Eco Eagle, you know, on the Timmins or Valdor. And we were also uh, drilling on the uh, Pascalis Colombier um, uh, property, but lately, and, and you know, they were very astute of picking very, very quickly uh, some leftover claim around this this uh, Granada uh, project, you know, uh, owned by Gold Bullion. So we mm -hmm. were taking claims at 200 meters, 600 meters, or just uh, nearby, you know, their current discovery. And lately, we, we press released the fact that we did discover 12 uh, gold-bearing zones uh, with um, grade at 2 uh, uh, grams per ton and, and more than that. In some cases, it was 8, uh, 7, 9. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. do believe that uh, it's a very significant discovery, and it confirmed that the Granada uh, deposit, uh, where the model calls for 2.5 million ounces now and uh, gold billion they are still you know making uh, resources assessment we we believe that with the discovery we did this deposit is going to be a lot a lot bigger uh-huh now are is this 100% owned by um is this 100% owned by your company this yeah, currently yeah it is okay it is yeah and um 
So, so, so that's why you, you saw maybe some, some uh, movement in the stock lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were, you know, before that uh, also we did uh, the other announcement we, we did. Uh, um, uh, we were having quite a good, good ride, you know, in the sense that uh, mm-hmm. with uh, 50 million outstanding stock, we had uh, 27 million you know, uh, shares uh, changing ends mm-hmm. between the uh, end of September and now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the stock is quite liquid, and we we believe that uh, with the kind of drilling program we have for the next year, we're currently having a, a 10,000 meters drilling program if we combine uh, what we're going to do by ourselves plus what are going to do our partners, Anico Eagle and uh, uh, Lakeshore, uh, Lakeshore Gold on the Dubuisson mm-hmm. uh, property and the 144 uh, Meunier property. Okay, you you have so many different properties to uh, to talk about. That's what uh, sort of I think really gives investors a great chance to have a, a winning investment here. Uh, and one of the strategies you seem to be carrying out, uh, Stefan, is sort of a project generator, a prospect generator uh, model. You've gone out. Your your geologists have gone out, staked great properties, and now you have other companies spending to uh, spending the really high-risk dollars to prove up the gold uh, resources there. Uh, the Debusson you've mentioned, uh, that's a joint venture with Agneagle Eagle. Could you talk about that a, a bit? Agneagle Eagle, of course, being one of the most successful senior mining gold companies uh, in the world and, and certainly the flagship company up there in, uh, in uh, Quebec. C- uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the Debusson and the arrangement with Agneagle Eagle. Well, yeah, I didn't know they, they they have a commitment of four million dollar uh, drilling program on our property. You know, already we we have point point one point seven meters done and two point four kilometer uh, uh, still uh, still going on. So we believe that we are going to have some some good results there. And one of the reasons for that is although Adventure Gold is the name of the company, you know, the geologist team they are not very adventurous. You know, if, yeah. I, if I may, in a sense that we. Uh, we are focused on discovering um, high-quality gold deposit um, in the IBTB Greenstone Belt, uh, but we are doing that uh, where we know that there is strong potential for new gold discovery because it's just nearby pre-existing mine or current uh, proven deposit. Mm-hmm. So basically, what we do, we are doing piggyback. You know, we, we are looking what has been done in the past, and, and you know that in the IBTB, you are saying it's one of the most, you know, uh, uh, potentially, you know, interesting uh, area in the world. And, and, yeah, it's true because uh, after South Africa and uh, Nevada, where we know that the cost of exploiting resources is quite uh, high, HBTB is maybe the, the third uh, in the third ranking, you know, uh, worldwide mm-hmm. um, uh, area. And they, they've been digging, you know, it's amazing to see they've been digging 180 million ounces you know, mm-hmm. already uh, produced in that area. And uh, past years, we saw Osisco mine with a 9 million ounce, uh, Little Lake, 11 million ounce, uh, Casabarabi, 4 million, Malartic, which is a low-grade, uh, like maybe the the Granada extension, the same uh, as the Malartic, maybe 9 million ounces, uh, Timmins, 2 million. So there is still a lot of gold there, and, and we believe that our strategic positioning is just, you know, we're just piggybacking on... on on big and huge already discovered deposit or a past uh, past uh, mine. Right, and we might just mention that the Debussan is right next to the gold 
the Goldex deposit that is run by uh, Agni Legal. I think it was a 1.6 million ounces or something. And uh, as I, I believe, that's a fairly low cost gold deposit, gold gold uh, mine as well. Yeah, exactly. You're right. You know, the Goldex is a 1.6 million ounces, and you're right. You know, there is. Um, everything is there, you know, the, the cost of energy, the road, all the infrastructure, uh, everything to process the gold. So uh, even though there was, you know, currently with the level, the, the current price, uh, the gold price is uh, clearly that uh, uh, there is a lot of um, leftover we had when, you know, for example, the gold was at uh, 400 or 500 or 600. You know, the, the big guys, they were focusing on uh, high-value uh, deposit, you know, with uh, higher mm-hmm. grade. But now, sure. uh, around that, there is a lot of potential, and, and we are focusing on, on this opportunity. All right. Uh, you have the uh, the West Timmins property is another one that needs to be mentioned, I think. Uh, talk about that one for a minute, if you would. Yeah, on, on this one, we call it the 144 uh, uh, Meunier uh, 2 on this one, and we, uh, we have an agreement uh, with the... Um, uh, Lakeshore Gold and um, RT Minerals. There, um, it's um, uh, they they uh, they, they, are, they have committed. You know, um, like you no, know, they have an option. The objection we have with them it's for two times 1.5 million dollars. So um, they are going to provide us with some results going forward because on this case, for example, we have uh, 2,000 meter committed this year alone. Uh, on, on our 10,000 meters, you know, during programs. So we believe that we are going to be able to come back to the market with, with good news, we, we hope, and we are quite confident in, with that respect on the fourth property we were uh, currently attacking, so, which is the, the, the Timmins, um, well, the Timmins where we have that agreement with Lexor Gold, the Dubuisson one where we have this agreement with uh, Anico Eagle, um, the Pascalis Colombier, um, where again, it's it's a surface deposit, and and obviously the last one we've been discussing the granite extension. Right. Uh, so you have. I, I should mention that you know with some of these properties, you're giving up a pretty good percentage of your ownership. For example, in the Dubuisson, I believe you're giving up potentially if Agneagle Eagle stays with it, you're giving up 65 percent. So they would have a 65-35. Maybe you might just uh, explain to our listeners why that is good for the shareholders. Of um, uh, of your company to give up that that bigger position. You know what we we do have four million cash and cash equivalent no debt, um, mm-hmm. and we are trying to protect the the shareholder, uh, not trying to raise money, uh, you know, on the market too often, not to dilute you know the shareholder. So dilution factor comes from most of the time the fact that let's say that we um, we entering you know a, a costly drink program at debt. And then we may end up you know, spending a lot of money you know, and taking, taking risk with shareholder money you know, in the sense that, yes, we may have good drilling targets, but the drilling at debt, it's, it's costly. So in such case, we prefer um, to share uh, the risk uh, with big guys. And, and, and what, that's exactly what we did with Anico Eagle. And in, in some other case, like the Granada extension, where it's, it's, a, it's going to be an open pit, you know, we know that it's a surface deposit, eh? we don't need maybe to, to share that with, with anybody you know, right now, uh, knowing that uh, anyway, at the end of the day, we'll have to make an agreement with the gold bullion you know, to have an open pit that is going to sit you know, on, both, on both property. You know? There is no other way of, of exploiting that uh, deposit 
uh, than having a big uh, a big puppet pit, you know, uh, sitting over the two properties. So, really, it depends what kind of um, uh, drilling costs we we are facing, you know, to to prove the resources and uh, come to the point where we we have. Uh, we have a mine, and 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 we we prefer to say, okay, let's let's edge a bit our risk, not to deplete our our cash, and and uh, let's provide some some news to the market to have the stock uh, uh, going going forward, going on, and and let's raise money when it's needed, and then for now it's not. Right, you're uh, you're pretty well set with a good amount of cash in the bank, and other people spending their money to develop these properties. Uh, you did mention uh, the Pascalis uh, Columbriere. Um, that is a property where there has been some past production, I believe. 170,000 ounces were uh, were produced in the past. Is there a possibility, uh, Stefan, that uh, that gold could be produced from this property in the near term, perhaps custom milled in a nearby mill? Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, you know what, it's it's possible. We were still uh, at the board level thinking of uh, in, in some case where uh, let's say that we we find. Um, uh, Mining potential, but it's a small deposit. It's not something that we can, you know, easily pass along to a big producer because they're looking for, you know, a quite big deposit. We are considering, you know, do it, doing it by by ourselves, uh, knowing mm-hmm. that there is uh, um, there is everything, you know, around um, as as, a, as a infrastructure. As I was saying, you know, to uh, to exploit by ourselves, you know that uh, that small deposit. Let's say it's a small deposit, you know, just a, a few hundred thousand uh, ounces. And in such a case, what we are going to do? We are going to use the proceed um, of uh, of that uh, exploitation, you know, to to fuel our exploration, other exploration uh, play we have in the fourteen others uh, current property we we have in our portfolio. So. At one point of time, um, generating some cash flow by uh, exploiting by ourselves small deposit in, in that uh, HBTB uh, greenstone belt, it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you said, you know the the Pascalis Colombier uh, possibility is, is clearly one of them currently. Well, certainly in this business, uh, the lifeblood of the junior mining companies is drill results. You're going to have lots of drill results coming out from all of these properties, are you not, over the next number of uh, weeks and months? Oh, yeah. Uh, we uh, There is, you know, on the 144 uh, Meunier currently, we're, we're, we're drilling. Uh, we're going to enter drilling uh, phase in Pascalis, Colombia, before the end of the year. Uh, we're going to uh, provide some more uh, uh, results on the Granada extension, you know, in January. So there is a lot to come, you know, in the next, uh, next few few months. Um, and on, on, on the top of that, you know, I think it's, it's good for an American listener or, um, let's say, a stranger from the Canadian market that uh, we've been raising cash without almost no at all flow through uh, in due respect of uh, foreigners, uh, investors. As you know, some Canadian, you know, they do enjoy some tax uh, rebate, but in such a case, you know, there is a tendency when you're using that the tool that we have uh, as a mining company, you know, an expression mining company in, in Quebec base or Canadian base, mm-hmm. tend to have a retail investor uh, dumping the stock, you know, after a few right. months when they have their sure. debate. And it's not our case. We currently are going to do a quite a big roadshow uh, next few weeks uh, in the European countries to have uh, 
Switzerland, French, and uh, UK investor looking at our uh, project, and we were going to tell them that they'll look, you know, currently when we raise cash, it's hard cash, and we're not trying to use, uh, do, do what we would call the flow through here. And I think this is going to provide more stability and more debt in the stock also. We are going to have investors for abroad because they appreciate that we are not using um, the tax credit uh, incentive for Canadians. And we are trying to have, you know, uh, investors from, from abroad. Um, sure. Uh, Sure, sure. I understand that, Stefan, because it means that, uh, you know, the Canadians that have that tax advantage will be dumping their shares at lower prices and driving the stock down. And, of course, people outside of Quebec then wouldn't enjoy the same advantages, would they? Uh, is there anything else you can think about that you would like to highlight before uh, we conclude our discussion this time? Well, I think that uh, key for this play, and I think uh, I don't see gold prices uh, falling. I don't know if you agree with me, Jay, but... Uh, we we see that for months now that gold is 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 holding uh, value and going going higher uh, evenly and and this is I think it's going to fuel a lot of of more um, exploration and discovery you know in that ABDB uh, greenstone belt where uh, as we all know there is a lot of gold there and and we are going to be in a position to now provide results where it's not as exciting as a very, very high uh, grade, but it's something that could, you know, provide a, a lot of money to shareholders. Absolutely, and that's the, uh, the way things are going these days, the lower-grade the lower grade deposits. Well, folks, don't go away. Uh, we're going to be with Roger Wiegand. It was supposed to be Roger Conrad. We're having some difficulty getting a hold of Roger Conrad. But uh, I understand Roger Wiegand is here, and, you know, you can call in if you like. Uh, the number to call in is 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, if you have some questions for Roger Wiegand. Thanks again, Stefan. Uh, look forward to having you back again. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with Roger Wiegand. Thank you, Jay. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by as regular listeners to this show know i am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks one of my favorite gold mining companies is metanor resources traded toronto and the pink sheets this is a new gold producer it is using cash flows from its berry mine in quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world famous quebec bachelor lake mine back into production this stock has been recommended by my newsletter because i do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk visit metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information. 
The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, today's featured guest was supposed to be Roger Conrad. He's the editor of the Canadian Edge and the utility forecaster. And we thought Roger was going to give us some good ideas about some utility or some uh, reasonably good yielding stocks that we can buy that are also relatively safe. Um, I don't know if everything or anything is really safe in today's markets. We're With all of the uh, debt that's overhanging the U.S. economy, um, and I think that's the reason people are going to gold, which is the ultimate safe uh, asset. But in any event, we're glad to have another Roger with us, Roger Wiegand, who uh, gets shortchanged almost every week when we have him on at the end of the show, because probably because I like to talk a lot and my guests like to talk a lot. And by the end of the time, uh, the last segment of the show, we end up having just a few minutes left. Uh, so anyway, Roger, welcome. Roger Wiegand, welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Good to have you. Thanks, Jay. You know, uh, today I got to ask you, we, we talked to Channel earlier about the gold markets, um, and, you know, he's been very, very bullish on gold, as you have been. But here we have a day in which I understand the dollar was pretty pretty strong today, uh, and yet gold was even stronger. So that old relationship where dollar up, gold down, and vice versa doesn't seem to be holding true anymore, does it? 
No, it doesn't, and I think I know the reason why this happened today. Uh, things were so bad in Europe on a variety of fronts. The euro dropped almost three full percentage points. I mean, skewed trading points. Uh, the high was 136.29. <clears throat> the last price right now is 133.74. That's a major hit. And I think a lot of that came about because of the concerns with Ireland, uh, mm -hmm. not only Greece and Portugal as well, but now they're worried about Spain. So mm -hmm. these things are adding up pretty quickly. Uh, I just saw Mrs. Merkel, the Prime Minister of Germany, on television making a speech and trying to calm everybody down. She's one of the premier figures in this whole scenario because Germany is considered to be the one that's got the money that can cover uh, a lot of these problems. And yeah. consequently, uh, with all these things being stirred up, the euro took a big hit. The dollar the reverse trade went up, but the gold went up right with it. Yeah. Well, put yourself in the shoes of the taxpayers in Germany and see if you're happy about financing, uh, you know, early Greek retirement, uh, you know, and, and, the, and uh, the sort of easy life that, that people seem to think, many Western Europeans think, seem to think they're entitled to. Uh, did, would you, how do you think is this is going to wash, Roger? Do you think ultimately the German people are going to, uh, German and maybe the French too, are going to say enough is enough and we're not going to take it anymore? Well, the French prime minister has tried to put the lid on things too, and of course they immediately get out and march and have riots, which they've done. But most importantly, the question becomes, what is Germany going to do? Because they seem to be the bank of last resort, and as a, re as, uh, a result of that, uh, the German people, as you mentioned, are screaming. They've had enough. Yeah. Uh, they Keep in mind now, they went through a, a prolonged period of time where they had to rescue uh, eastern Germany after the Berlin Wall came down. Right. And that event cost three times what they expected. It was mm -hmm. incredibly expensive to get things geared and back together, east Germany, west Germany. And now they're going through something that's probably even worse. And I think the pressures are going to be such that uh, either Mrs. Merkel's government is going to have to put their foot down here pretty quick, or uh, they'll get voted out and they'll get somebody in that will. Well, well, uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what goes on because uh, you know it's it's just this whole notion that you can have your cake and eat it too, which I think is really Keynesian economics. So it's sort of the uh, it's the Western world has adopted this notion that uh, there's no reason to have. There's no, no reason you have to have um, recessions. You can always just deficit spend. Government can step in, pick up the slack when the private sector doesn't do it. Uh, but it seems to me, Roger, that, that maybe some people, at least people that are thinking straight, are having doubts about Keynesian economics. Look at us right now. I mean, Ben Bernanke, is, that's Keynesianism to the extreme almost. He's QE, uh, QE2 now, but, uh, you know, the whole notion that maybe there's going to have to be a QE3 uh, to bail out the municipalities, as Chen was suggesting, or QE4 after that to bail out uh, pension funds, or, you know, it's, it's endless. But, but the point is, where does the wealth come from? It doesn't come from the printing press. No, the, the wealth can't come from the printing press, and that was proven in, in both Austria and Germany after World War I, when the French and some others at the Treaty of Versailles put a lot of pressure on Germany and Austria both. Uh, they literally crushed them with repayments on reparations, and those countries were economically destroyed and they couldn't pay. And look mm -hmm. what happened. I mean, uh, Germany was on its knees. I read a book called uh, uh, When Money Dies by Adam Ferguson, 
And the thing I learned from that book was is that Austria in 1919 actually was hammered a lot worse than Germany. They were hmm. so poor and so destroyed in 1919, the prime minister of Austria actually put his country up for the highest bidder. Hmm. Wow. That's when, that's when France said, wait a minute, we've got to stop this because they were afraid Russia was going to come in and buy Austria. Uh, that's really interesting. Well, here's another example, Roger, I just thought of, as you were saying, where it proved that that you can't bail out, that printing presses doesn't create wealth. I would suggest the same thing happened uh, in the 1930s when the Federal Reserve pumped money into the system like mad. That didn't do anything either. Uh, we had deflation. Uh, you know, there's the question in my mind still is, I'm, not, I'm still not convinced that, we're going, that it's going to tip towards inflation, hyperinflation. We have inflation now, no doubt about it. I, I think you have to be hard-pressed, if you're an American, to think about anything you're buying that is cheaper this year than it was a year ago. I don't know if you can think of anything, Roger, but, uh, you know, of course, we're looking at a year ago as off the heels of the Lehman Brothers' decline. Uh, but but prices are generally going up. Healthcare prices, college uni universities, pr food prices, uh, energy costs, most everything. Uh, there's been a long trend upward. So to say we don't have inflation is fallacious, of course. On the other hand, to say we don't have powerful deflationary forces is also fallacious because we have this enormous debt that cannot be repaid. And when Bernanke goes to QE2, he's printing more debt money. He's not printing more money. It's not as if we're on a gold standard and you found a mountain of gold and all of a sudden you have real wealth uh, underlying the currency. So I, I don't know. It's, I don't think this thing is going to – what are your thoughts? Are we going to be able is, – is this QE2 going to work, Roger? We're going to be able to, uh, to keep – let's say, is it going to work in terms of keeping commodity prices rising? No, it's not going to work at all. And one of the things I might suggest for our listeners, Jay, uh, the Wall Street Journal periodically runs in the commodity section in the money, the money and investing section of their newspaper. They run a big chart. Uh, I, I don't know if it's in every day or not, but they show the cash prices of a lot of things that Americans must buy, and they show the price one year ago, and then they show the current price in the paper. And mm -hmm. some of this stuff is really shocking. I mean, you mm -hmm. think there's no inflation. You should look at some of these figures. You know, right. like for all the food items in particular, butter and cheese and uh, meat and hogs. And, you know, the hog people or people that raise hams and so on, pigs, they're supposed to be on their knees and broken. And just a year ago, the price was 53 cents, and now it's 63. That's 10% mm -hmm. in one year. That's mm -hmm. not inflation. I don't know what is. Coffee no. was even more dramatic. It was like a dollar twenty-six to a dollar eighty-five. Right. So well, those things are there for people to look at if you want to look. But I think the thing that that causes um, uh, doubts is the fact that business is bad. Generally, uh, it's better in some places. However, the durable, the durable goods, the the hard things like cars and washing machines and carpet and things that are expensive, housing. All those are, are in, in, in rapid deflation, but on the food and energy side, uh, uh, taxes and other things are, are arising. There's no question about that. Yeah. Well, um, okay, so today's market, Roger, what are the charts telling you about gold right now? What are, your, what are your forecasts, let's say, by the end of the year or first quarter of next year for gold? Well, I just worked on that this morning because we had a lot of emails today, and, and we are just in the head of a holiday 
Uh, first of all, the I watch real-time charts because we trade. Uh, the December gold futures right now are $1,375.50. Uh, they were up 1770 in after-hours trading, a high hit very close to my resistance at uh, 1383. 1385 is resistance. Everybody's wondering, where do we finish out the year and what's going to happen in the first quarter of next year? And based upon some things I saw today, we did support in the upward channel that's been going now in, in real-time gold for December since way last July. We fell below the, the bottom line, but we're back up in it again. Uh, that's 13.75 is the support, and it's right on the bottom line, so we're still good. Uh, 13.85 is the top. What is going to come? I think this month we have a chance for a little bit of a reversal higher to 1448.50, and then there's an established low right now, as we just mentioned, at 1348.50. Mm -hmm. 13, 13, 1448.50, 1348.50. It's a hundred dollars difference, the high and the low. Uh, we're in the kind of in the middle right now, but then the next big question is, what do we see next year? I think next year. If we just move up one technical move on the Fibonacci retracement levels, which is 23.6%, just one move, and there are four or five of those, four of them, excuse me, um, we could go as high on a minimum next year as 1790 mm -hmm. on gold, which is a dramatic move. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Um, okay, what about, what about oil? How are, you seeing, um, how are you seeing oil look now? Oil has been uh, a little bit up and down lately uh, based upon reserves on fundamentals, how much was uh, in hand, so to speak, uh, in the tankers ready for delivery. Uh, the producers were looking to have a price at around 85 because of this inflation. And inflation is, is directly related to the U.S. dollar. Oil is traded in U.S. dollars between the Middle East producers and, and others around the world so when the dollar falls down, they're not getting as much money for their oil. Consequently, the, the, the middle number, the average number they wanted at 75, now they prefer 85. Uh -huh. So oil today is $81.53. It's off a little bit. It's been hanging around 78.5, 82.5. That's the trading range. But on this, on this uh, cycle of a colder winter, and also on inflation, more than anything, it's inflation, not not mm -hmm. actual shortages. We mm -hmm. see the price going from 82 to 86, and then to 92.50. And we think sometime next year, we can't tell when as yet. Uh, we think oil will exceed 100 dollars. Now, on, Roger, just on does a falling dollar? Does yeah, okay, that's what I was going to ask you. The falling dollar is that's really the mirror image, or that's it's more the basis that, that the dollar is losing its value, and since oil is priced in dollars, it has to be a higher number to give the suppliers of oil uh, what they feel they need that's for correct. their product. Okay, well, we're uh, I just been told now that we do have uh, Roger Conrad with us, so we are going to go to break now, and as soon as we go to commercial break, we'll be back with Roger Conrad. Thank you, Roger Wiegand, for being with us and for filling in in Roger Conrad's absence. Roger, if you want to come back for the wrap today, we'd really love to have you. I'll be back. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, okay, folks, Dave. don't go away. We're going to be right back with Roger Conrad. We're going to talk to him about some ways that you can uh, earn a reasonable amount of income on your savings. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Mill Rock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Mill Rock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Valet, Inmet, Finross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Mill Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX Exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the Treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further information. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network try not to try too hard it's just a love you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com sign up for jay's newsletter jay taylor's gold energy and tech stocks at www.miningstocks.com now back to our program 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times, and I'm really pleased to have Roger Conrad with us. We missed Roger a little earlier, uh, but he's that is Roger Conrad. We had our own Roger Wiegand to step in and give us some good ideas in, the, in some of the markets, uh, including oil, and Roger was talking about uh, about uh, rising oil prices on the back of a weakening dollar. Well, we're going to hear what Roger Conrad might have to, to say about that because certainly uh, we're going to be talking to Roger about utilities, uh, utility companies, and uh, some of them, of course, uh, are energy dependent. So we're going to talk to uh, to Roger about that. But let's, uh, let's get into another topic. Well, first of all, let me just, for those of you who haven't heard Roger on our show before, we have had him on twice before. Uh, he is the editor of Canadian Edge. That's an internet-based service directed to, at U.S. investors that tracks it tracks more than 130 high-yielding Canadian uh, equities. Uh, he's also editor of the Utility Forecaster, the leading U.S. advisory on essential service stocks, bonds, and preferred stocks. He's been cited for editorial excellence six times. Uh, by the newsletter and Electronic Publishers Association, and he's an associate editor for Personal Finance, uh, chief strategist of Portfolio 2020, and co-editor of MLP Profits. He is the author of Power Hungry, Strategic Investing in Telecommunications, Utilities, and Other Essential Services. Uh, and we might just mention that you can learn more about Roger's uh, service, his excellent service, by going to Maple Leaf memo.com that's maple leaf memo.com uh, that focuses on uh, Canadian trusts as well well welcome Roger it's good to have you back to turning hard times into good times thank you it's good to be back well uh, you always have some great ideas uh, in a uh, in an environment where it's really difficult for people who've worked hard all their lives saved their money uh, to get any any rewards for that now, you know they're keeping uh, interest rates at artificially low levels. Uh, Bernanke's trying to stimulate the economy by pushing uh, rates very low, so you can't buy treasuries and get anything from it. So thankfully, there are some uh, reasonably low risk uh, assets out there, investments you can make in the equity markets, uh, and that's what we want to talk to you about. But uh, last the last newsletter I saw from you. Uh, that I get the utilities letter talked about water. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about water. Water, you know, it's something that I've never worried about living in north north uh, northeastern U.S. I grew up in Ohio. I live in New York for a long time. Plenty of water in the Adirondacks that that takes care of this highly populous area here in New York City. Uh, but water is a problem. It's a growing problem. Just talk about that a little bit, um, if you would. Well, yeah, I mean, I think um, probably the biggest problem we have in, in, in this country regards water is the fact that um, we uh, are used to not paying anything for it. And, of course, um, you know, as cities have grown, as we've seen more building into areas that were watersheds or places where uh, water was essentially cleaned, um, there, um, you know, there, there are more and more uh, stresses. And even in the Northeast where you have quite a bit of moisture, uh, quite a bit of rain, um, generally, you still have considerable problems with, with the cleanliness of water, the suitability for drinking. And then, of course, if you look at, at the West, where you actually don't have uh, adequate supplies um, in many areas, whether area, where they're having to tap the seas, or, uh, which is hugely expensive, or, or a variety of other, other methods. And then, of course, you know, if you look at other countries, and particularly China and India, where um, between the two of them, there's, I think they have about 10% of the world's fresh water supplies, and that's, a, that's going to be an emerging geopolitical issue between those two countries 
of which there are already several uh, major um, issues. Uh, but this one, uh, of course, huge because they have uh, very large populations, and um, a lot of the water, and particularly in China, is not even usable for, for agriculture. So um, this is a huge problem. There's going to have to be a lot more money spent on it. I mentioned the problem we have in this country is we're not used to spending a lot of money on water either for uh, in our utility bills or uh, as, as municipalities in, in major projects. So we're seeing a, a lot of deterioration of older infrastructure. Uh, we're seeing, again, the strain on supplies, but uh, probably more than anything else, uh, the, the strain on, um, on, on, on uh, ensuring clean supplies of water, water that's uh, um, with, with all the uh, uh, pollution that comes into the air and so forth. Uh, from from things like mercury, um, uh, you know, uh, to to maybe less uh, less noxious substances, but certainly a lot of money is going to have to be spent on doing that. And um, the game really is, you know, boiling down to the co- picking companies that can uh, make that kind of investment and also recoup, uh, earn a return on that investment. And um, you know, it's again, it's an industry where the challenge is not so much that. Uh, for for companies, not so much that there's there's not a need, but uh, you know, uh, getting uh, people to actually pay for uh, the kind of investments that are needed. So it's been kind of slow to unfold, but I think I see it unfolding. Okay, well, you mentioned that some 80% of Americans receive their water from municipal governments, and I'm trying to figure out how you can make money in a in a utility company that is. That is uh, that is operated and, and really managed by the governments, by municipal local governments. Well, basically, the way a lot of these systems have worked, and this is coming straight from you know people in the business, is uh, you know they they um, have a part of the, part of rates have, have been to that people pay is not just the water itself, but it's also uh, maintenance to take care of equipment to replace uh, various piping, uh, water mains, and so forth. And one of the big problems is that. Although this infrastructure was really built to last a long time, um, it's now coming to the end of its uh, usable life cycle, and um, the money that was meant to be there to to pay for replacement, uh, say, of a, a huge water main in a major city, uh, is simply not there because they've, uh, you know, by 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 and large, uh, you know, the money's been thrown into general funds, and uh, you know, not, it's not the case in every. Um, in every city or every project, but uh, in, in many at least, uh, you know, the money has not been set aside, and this is a common theme throughout many, uh, uh, in many industries, but uh, because of that, um, you know, there's, that, there's a, there, you know, the money's not there, so there's a lot of uh, investment it's basic, that has to be made, and, and basically they've just used the, uh, the, in many of these places, they've used the water levies as um, a, a, general, a general fund to fund other uh, types of, of municipal expenditures. Uh, mm. But, you know, you, you eventually have to do have to pay the piper in these things, and that's what a number of areas are coming up against. Okay, so if, if the infrastructure has not been taken care of and these are aging systems, uh, is there money to be made in, in some of the companies that, uh, the, the construction companies that maybe are, re, are replacing these systems? Where do you, well, I think so. Where? Well, I, I think so. I think that's right. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, but uh, the way some of these contracts are awarded, um, you know, you you almost have to have a little bit of local knowledge uh, to to see. But um, a company I, I like is a company called Insituform, and the symbol is I N S U. It's a company probably not a lot of people have heard of, but they specialize in pipe remediation. Um, they are actually making a lot of money in the mining and and uh, energy industries. Uh, you know, companies that are that are paying. Um, less so in the municipal, uh, in, in the area of, of actual like sewer rehabilitation, because 
Um, of course, that requires municipalities, which are often cash-strapped, um, you know, making a decision to uh, go ahead and, and do this kind of work, which costs money, and, and uh, therefore, uh, you know, it, it's a project that uh, uh, can, can be put off. Um, we have seen some major water main breaks in, in certain areas, uh, and uh, that's, of course, caused a tremendous problem um, in those particular areas. But, um, you know, many many uh, cities, and particularly now with the, you know, recession and so forth, people are uh, keeping that, or, you know, more or less keeping that, uh, um, keeping that money and, and delaying the, uh, the maintenance, much like, uh, say, a, a homeowner might uh, delay um, repairing a roof during a dry season. Um, but, uh, you know, eventually the money does have to be made but and does have to be spent. But incentive form is making money now, and, you know, that's really, I think, what investors should concentrate on, you know, in this sector, not so much companies that, you know, have these uh, have a pie-in-the-sky really great idea, but, but companies that are actually, uh, you know, making uh, dollars and, and are getting contracts. Yeah, you uh, classify in situ form uh, and another company called Itron as um, tech stocks, I guess, water tech stocks. Is that right? Yeah, they are. And, and they're, again, they're different than what a lot of people consider uh, tech stocks in that, uh, you know, they're companies that are making money. Itron is actually a meter uh, company and uh, actually meter, smart meters or uh, um, uh, the, the type of meters that don't just measure what is flowing through a system, but um, that measure, um, uh, you know, that, that allow some, some back and forth on the part of, uh, uh, of, of the companies, um, are, are uh, very much uh, being deployed not only in the electric system, that's where you get more uh, notoriety, and there's actually a smart grid um, uh, incentive in the Obama budget that's, uh, that's being rolled out slowly but surely, but also, you know, for water, and you can really uh, run a system much more efficiently that way. And Itron's making uh, many orders in the United States, uh, a lot of them in, in electricity, but, but a growing number in water, and uh, many overseas as well, because um, in, in other countries, um, they where they have, say, perhaps more centrally planned um, uh, uh, businesses in, in, in some areas, um, they are able to deploy the capital and they are able to, uh, uh, you know, sign the contracts with Itron. And, again, that's a company that, uh, you know, that has done a very good job uh, finding those contracts and, and, uh, and getting those dollars. And um, that's what sets them apart, I think, from a lot of other, a lot of other players in, in, um, in, in, water, in what you might call the water treatment business. Okay, but those are uh, tech companies, and I believe they do not pay any dividends. Is that right? That is true. Um, and that's so true. a lot of people that I recommend stocks to don't uh, – Necessarily want to own anything like that. I think people need though to own, think of their portfolio and own a wide range of, of different investments. And uh, some things do well in other environments, some things others. And you know, really, what we're out, what we're after here is total return. And that's why I focus mainly on on I focus on growth at least as much as I do on uh, on yield when I pick individual investments. But yeah, those don't have any yields. Um, you know, if someone wanted a uh, something in in, in Something of a similar business, you you would look at you'd want to look at, at some of the foreign plays out there, particularly the Olia environment um, or, or Suez environment. Uh, they're major French companies. They've had their um, uh, their stakes in in uh, uh, or, or their franchises since Napoleonic times. Uh, so they generate tons of cash flow. They're also very connected around the world. France has been very good in terms of uh, inserting these businesses into the Chinese market. So. Um, that, of course, is one of the major markets in the world for water, one that's 
uh, particularly for uh, you know turning um, unpotable supplies into uh, water that can be used for a wide range of things. And um, yeah, they're, so they're right in the middle of that. They also do pay dividends, not on the same uh, um, frequency as U.S. companies do, usually twice a year. Uh, for both of these companies, but um, you can get a dividend out of that and also share in some of the some of the growth. What was the name again? Suez was that one of them? Yeah, the one's called Suez Environment, and that's probably a little bit more difficult to buy. Uh, you're not going to find that does not have a New York listed symbol anymore. Veolia does, and that's V E um, uh-huh. uh, Virginia Edward uh, Suez. Uh, it, it's um, again uh, traded over the counter here in the United States, so a little bit more difficult to buy. Um, you know, the, the symbol is actually uh, over the counter would be S is in Sam Z, um, E V Y. And, uh, so that's, it, it's a little bit less liquid, but again, uh, you know, a nice company, nicely situated. A lot of companies like, uh, like Suez decided that the U.S. market was just too, um, uh, there was too much, uh, red tape to fight through to get, to maintain a New York listing. So they had a, a New York listing at one time and, and, uh, Abandoned that uh, uh, several years ago, but right. uh, you know, if you have the patience and can buy the OTC or can go to France buy, or, or or buy on the uh, on the French market, then uh, uh, I think again a very nice one to, to add to your portfolio. What sort of yields do those two companies pay? Just a, a general, uh, give us a general those, idea. Well, those would be about like an average U.S. utility, uh, high quality U.S. utility. So in the five percent range is what you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, more or less count on. Um, mm-hmm. They do uh, operate, like I say, a little bit differently than U.S. companies. They pay an interim dividend and a final dividend, and those dividends uh, vary with the profitability of the company. They generally peg their dividends to a payout ratio. So um, one thing that's held them both back has been uh, the waste business in Europe, uh, which has slumped in the uh, in, in the uh, recession. But now that things are getting better, uh, you can, I think we can look for earnings to improve, and I think we can look for dividends to uh, improve along with them. So those 5% yields could become, uh, you know, 6 7% for anyone that, that uh, is buying it right now. And, you know, it's a pretty nice yield for, for a company that's been around since, uh, again, since the early 1800s. It's incredible. You might say uh, uh, potentially almost as, uh, almost as risk-free as, uh, as some of our treasuries these days when they're printing unlimited amounts of them. Uh, I'd like to ask you a little bit, of, uh, go to more standard Water companies, utility companies, if you would. Uh, you've named a couple of American Waterworks as one, New York Stock Exchange, AWK. Uh, what sort of yield do they pay? Well, they, those are uh, the, the best American companies, and I do. I, I like American Water, I like Aqua America, uh, and uh, Connecticut Water, which is smaller. These are going to yield a little bit under 4%. Uh, they do increase the dividends every year. The trade off for that slightly lower yield is the fact that this is a business that's basically. Uh, anything proof, um, you know, they're um, uh, Aqua Americas, and, and um, all three of these companies have a, a business model based on absorbing smaller systems, and there's still uh, uh, 70% or so of Americans are, are um, signed up with uh, on water systems that serve less than 10,000 people, and that's really too small to deal with the uh, the kind of expenses that you need for uh, water treatment and so forth. So um, there's a lot of consolidation going on. They're able to buy these systems uh, typically at uh, discounts, even to book value. So they immediately add to earnings, and um, they again uh, that adds to dividends. So it's it's a very very stable formula for profit growth. Both those uh, all all three of these companies really um, increased uh, earnings uh, very reliably throughout the 
worst days of 2008 and 2009. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, now I think we're seeing more uh, opportunities for, uh, for acquisitions and um, also uh, regulators granting uh, rate increases that allow uh, companies to uh, put through the cost of uh, upgrading systems. Um, they're really, uh, you know, if, you're, if you happen to be serviced by a, uh, I get your water service from one of the uh, investor-owned companies, it's really um, a nice thing. You know, the water supplies tend to actually be uh, much uh, more reliable, and they've really, that's because they've been uh, under the gun, uh, really, from the get-go um, in this environment that we have in the United States, which is uh, that public water systems are are um, are the way, and in fact, we just had a, a municipality in in um, New Hampshire, Nashua, a, ra- a wealthier uh, uh, town, um, uh, buy its or or make a, a deal to buy its uh, water utility, Penichuck Water. So at a time even when um, you know it, it, most industries and most most uh, most of our government entities are are adopting the ethos that uh, maybe some of these industries can be run better on the private scale. And, uh, and also, you know, the, the clear examples we have of companies like Aqua and, and American that are running systems very well, uh, you still have uh, a, a clamor for public ownership uh, of water systems. So it's, um, you know, it, it's a unique, uh, kind of unique situation. And I, as one of the executives of, uh, of one of the water companies I, call, I, I, I um, recommend uh, um, once said, uh, they're kind of like collector cars. So um, there, there are not a whole lot of them and they tend to run very, very, very well. So I think investors can look forward to very conservatively, uh, you know, 10% total returns in these, uh, in, in companies like Aqua or, or American Water Works, um, you know, very, very reliably and, uh, um, you know, uh, and over a very long period of time. I have invested myself in, in these companies, and, you know, again, they've, it's kind of like when you're watching their stocks move, it's kind of like watching paint dry, but uh, yeah. it, it does build wealth uh, almost like nothing else I've ever seen uh, in, in a very reliable way. Long term, right? And uh, Well, you're talking about 10%. I think probably 3 or 4% of that would come by way of yields and dividends, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the rest, uh, you know, comes along with the dividend growth. I mean, one thing a lot of people don't understand or don't really fully, maybe they understand it, but they don't fully uh, take that into account with their portfolios is how dividend growth leads to capital gains. Um, you know, obviously stocks move up and down for a wide range of reasons, and, you know, in 2008 everything was down, everything was, was up in 2009 and so forth. But over time, as a company ratchets up its dividend, uh, the stock price moves along behind it. So if you have a company that's growing its dividend, um, that's paying, you know, 3 or 4%, growing that dividend, you know, 5 or 6% a year, um, you really get a nice formula built in there for, for some pretty solid total returns. Uh, that depend really on nothing else than than those companies uh, remaining healthy and uh, growing and able to increase those dividends. And in the case of water utilities, it's about uh, you know the water rate base and and getting uh, uh, rate increases to pay for pipe repair and and uh, other such infrastructure. I'm wondering. Uh, we're hearing a lot of news about the municipal governments being in big trouble. Is this leading to privatization of some of these water systems, possibly, or consolidation of some of the smaller ones into bigger ones? Well, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 like I say, it tends to happen slowly because you really have this ethos of public water, um, even in areas that you'd consider to be fairly conservative, um, otherwise politically. Um, so, you know, it, it, it tends to happen slowly, but. Uh, and, you know, often it takes a, you know, it's kind of a Nixon going to China thing where you have to have 
maybe more liberal politicians uh, pushing this kind of thing through. But little by little, you do see this happening around the country. And again, it's just because scale is is the name of the game with water. And you, as if you have larger uh, uh, groups of people to spread various expenditures over, it's less of a burden on everyone, and uh, it, it, you don't put off the needed maintenance. And you do make, you do invest long term, and you make you know long decisions that make sense for the areas you serve. Um, but again, uh, that's um, that's coming very slowly to, to various areas. Certainly, American and, and Aqua and, and even con- Connecticut Water and, and some of the others I cover aren't having any trouble, uh, you know, getting new municipalities or new systems to to join their systems, and they're able to pretty much manage their growth uh, in, in a very uh, efficient way. Um, but I think there's a lot more to, to, to come out there, and in, in a way that the fact that it's coming slowly is a very good thing for, uh, for for these companies because they are able again to manage their manage their growth and not you know bite off more than they can chew. They can grow from internal cash flow to a great extent then, instead of having to go out and issue more shares or raise capital or debt or something. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, in fact, uh, this industry, if you look at it, they they haven't really had to issue a whole lot of capital, uh, even at the same time they've been able to grow. And that's because they have been able to, uh, again, I think in large part because they have been able to absorb these systems, often at prices below book value, um, and uh, thereby uh, they're, they're accretive, whether they use stock or, um, or, uh, um, or, or cash or even debt to pay for them. Of course, right now you have debt uh, at trading, and many, many of these companies are borrowing just at ridiculously low uh, interest rates. So they've definitely taken advantage, and you mentioned at the outset, I think, of the show that uh, you know, investors can't really get uh, any kind of decent return in anything fixed income, that including corporate bonds. Um, but the flip side of that is that these companies are borrowing at the lowest rates they've ever been able to borrow. And if you look at these big infrastructure companies, that means they're able to refinance everything they have at very low rates. They're also able to go out and build and buy stuff at, at very low rates. And, in fact, um, very low-risk projects suddenly become uh, extremely lucrative uh, with co- the cost of capital this low. So it's, it's an extremely bullish environment uh, as far as building businesses for these, um, uh, for at least the well-managed um, uh, energy or, or, or water infrastructure uh, uh, companies, or really infrastructure companies of any sort. Mm-hmm. Roger, there are, uh, I would imagine, some states that are more hostile towards private uh, water companies than others. Uh, maybe some states that are more hostile or more uh, or less uh, generous in terms of their uh, in, in terms of the regulatory um, decisions, uh, would they uh, would you would you care to name some of the states that are that are better places to own water companies and some of them that maybe aren't as good? Well, um, you know, ironically, that you know, when I look at the uh, electric universe and the, the water universe and, and the way states treat these two companies, it, it is somewhat different. Um, and in fact, you can have states that have been uh, historically, you know, fairly hostile, like New York, to its electric companies, actually be fairly benign uh, to their to their water companies. But it, it it does match up roughly down a down the line. I mean, you have some states that are very much have have always had an ethos of uh, intervening in in various markets, really kind of trying to micromanage utilities, uh, politicizing the process to keep rates low, because of course regulators are appointed mostly by governors, so. Um, they're directly uh, affected, and, and you know there's a fine old art of running against the utility, uh, utility bashing, in tough times. Though we really didn't see that um, over the last two years. I, I think 
by and large, most of the environment, uh, regulatory environment, is pretty benign um, at this point for uh, for all for for companies of all stripes um, in in water as well as electricity. Uh, the, the, most of the states where we saw um, turnover, um, there were there were decent regulatory environments and and people replacing uh, governors that uh, shared the same sort of. Um, uh, or share the, the same sort of view. Um, a couple of states where you know uh, there uh, maybe people should be a little bit wary for going forward. One would be California. I think that's always a state to be careful of. Uh, not so much for the like for electric companies because they're all wired into the green uh, energy, renewable energy building boom, and that's of course very much what the state supports, what the governor supports. But from on the water side, uh, the battle has been uh, between rising costs and uh, getting rate increases in a timely fashion, and that could become more difficult, um, you know, with uh, under a Brown administration versus a Schwarzenegger administration. So that's mm-hmm. something to watch very carefully. I'm not that that's a state that I have not uh, really um, uh, recommended many companies in, particularly on the water side. Um, on the renewable energy side, I think it's fine to bet, but um, the water companies out there, uh, California Water, America, American States Water. SJW, those those particular companies could have uh, a little bit more difficulty going forward. Um, you know, aside from that, I think you know Pennsylvania is a very good state for for water. Um, it's likely to remain so uh, going forward. That's really good news for Aqua America because they get about 40, uh, 40 so percent of income from that state. Um, New Jersey is another very good state. Uh, it, it has been for electricity as well. Um, and this is—it's no secret that these are states where the mate, where American, where uh, Pennsylvania for Aqua and New Jersey for American Water. That's where they're headquartered, um, and and they've enjoyed an, an enormous amount of uh, of um, state regulatory support over the years. So there's a a real history of supporting um, the, the the local utility there, and that's of course very good. And it's something I look for um, as an investor, definitely okay. in, in that in that sector. Okay, we've talked mostly about water. We've only got a few more minutes left, uh, Roger. I'd like to ask you about electric utilities. Uh, where can investors, if you're strictly looking for yield, uh, where can you get the highest yield? Can you get it with pipelines? Can you get it with electric utilities? Where can you get the best yields for the a given level of risk? Well, the biggest yields in, in essential services right now are in uh, wireline telephone companies. And for the obvious reason that a lot of people are looking at these things and saying there's no way revenues can grow, there's no way earnings can grow, and they look at uh, they look at earnings per share and they see them often well below the dividend rates. But uh, this is basically a cash flow business, and um, what that means is that uh, all these uh, old wireline systems, while we're tra- we are transitioning to broadband, we are transitioning to wireless. Um, while that is happening. Uh, these are these are paid for, and therefore there's a number a, enormous opportunities to cut costs, to uh, to pay down debt attached to these things, and otherwise increase cash flow, which is what dividends are paid for from these companies. So you have companies like Frontier and and Windstream and and uh, and Consolidated Communications or Telco. They all yield anywhere between eight and ten percent, and that's pretty much your return. <laughs> and I think that there's a, a good case to be made for for buying those, particularly for people who are interested in income because I do think they're undervalued uh, on that basis. I, I, th- I do think investors, though, generally need to look at a combination of uh, yield as well as growth because, um, you know, yield doesn't last forever without growth behind it. Um, I think these rural phone companies can keep paying and, and wireline phone companies keep paying big dividends for a long time to come, but 
uh, I look at them every quarter with a very uh, jaundiced eye uh, and to make sure that that's actually what actually happening. Um, but, you know, companies that can grow dividends, uh, and there's, there's no better safety for those payouts as well as the stocks than, than a growing dividend. And if you look at the history of um, the last two or three years where we've seen, you know, tremendous upturns and, and downturns, um, the companies that have continued to that resolutely make it through have been the ones that have maintained and increased dividends over time. So I think I, I really believe a, a diversified mix of, of companies. Uh, you know, the waters uh, may not interest some of the, the big high-yielding uh, people who really want the big high yields, but I would strongly encourage people to mix those in, you know, with their rural telephones, with their um, uh, with their electric companies, with their pipelines, and then uh, uh, there you'll get a you'll get a very nice income stream, and you'll you'll have a, a diversified mix of things that uh, will perform well um, over a, a broad uh, a long period of time in, in all economic environments. And certainly, you know, as your last uh, as the last guy on the show was talking about, this is certainly a very volatile environment where there's a lot of things happening that we we don't really know how they're going to uh, going to come out. I'm, you know, I think uh, in income investors really need to be careful about uh, inflation risk as well as uh, the credit risk. And all we've really had to worry about lately has been the credit risk. But right now, I don't really see the I don't see the inflation. I, I think there's uh, you know the dollar is still uh, in a weak place. And you know some of the Canadian things I talk about, people can read about on Maple Leaf Memo. Uh, that's I think that's a good way to hedge against it. Uh, but you know if you if you if you do buy a large range of things and uh, uh, making sure they're all high quality, making sure they're, for the most part, do have some growth component. I think you're going to do uh, do very well uh, over uh, over the coming years in in dividend paying equities, and I think that's still uh, still the way to go here. Do you think you can get a mix then, maybe with some of these wire, uh, the old wire systems, and some of the water stocks, for example, get yourself five or six percent with a, a diverse portfolio of these uh, kinds of stocks? Yeah, absolutely, and you know you can throw in some of the pipelines that are six, seven percent yielders. Uh, some of the some of the utility, electric utilities out there still, you know, five, six percent that are very strong that are increasing dividends. Uh, uh, some others maybe four or five percent. Um, you're certainly going to do a lot better than you would in any bonds out there, uh, any kind of annuities or any kind of uh, savings account. We uh, have about two minutes left. I want to ask you a, a little bit about your ideas with respect, to, if you if you have a view on interest rates in general, and then uh, to what extent are utility company rates correlated with treasury rates? Well, um, you know, I think in terms of the in terms of the market, um, we've really seen a decoupling of, of all dividend paying equities from uh, the benchmark ten year treasuries, and that really started. Um, back in uh, or more than two years ago, um, and, and with with the uh, with the collapse in the market, and ever since then, you've seen utilities and most dividend-paying equities really trading with the economy. So when the news on the economy has been good, uh, these things have gone up. Um, even though you've looked traditionally for them to go up when interest rates have uh, come down, and to go down when interest rates have come up. So I'm not sure how long that decoupling lasts. I think it, it probably is going to last a while, uh, just given the worries that we have. Uh, here on the economy, and as far as what happens with interest rates, um, I think they have to go higher from here. That's one reason I'd be uh, pretty. I'm pretty cautious about bonds. I advise people to stay, you know, with the low maturities, um, you know, two, two, three, even five years out outside, and, and look for companies with improving credit, because that will also uh, offset the, um, you know, rather than your triple A's and so forth, because that will offset to some extent the rising interest rates. I don't think we're quite there yet, though. I don't. I really don't see how we're going to see 
uh, you know, any kind of 70s-style inflation without really a wage push. And uh, until unemployment comes down quite a bit, that's not going to happen here. So, um, you know, I, I think that people do need to be concerned about the dollar and, and do some diversification with, uh, again, with dividend-paying equities from Canada and other places. But, um, you know, you, you don't want to really just throw in the towel on the, on the whole thing in terms of interest rate and inflation now because it, 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 I think we're going to have uh, some more upside for dividend-paying equities before we really see that uh, recoupling between uh, those stocks and, and interest rates um, going forward. Uh, you know, we, bond rates are well below what these stocks are yielding now, and um, that was not the case uh, in, in, in prior years where, uh, um, where you had, uh, you know, real inflationary pressures, real interest rate pressures. Okay, Roger. Unfortunately, we are out of time now. Let, let our listeners uh, know where they can follow your work, though. What are, what are a couple of the websites that they should go to to follow your, your newsletters? Okay, well, you mentioned MapleLeafMemo.com. That's pretty easy right. to remember, MapleLeafMemo.com. It's more Canadian-based. Also, UtilityAndIncome.com, um, UtilityAndIncome.com. Uh, that's another uh, weekly that I do and has with general comments on uh, on income investing and, you know, with, of course, a focus on uh, essential services, energy, and that kind of thing. Excellent. Well, very good. I would have liked to have asked you about some of the Canadian uh, ideas that you have. I think we might find higher yields, but probably a little more risk in some of those, would you say? Well, you do have the, you know, the Canadian dollar, and if you're paying your bills in U.S. dollars, then um, it, it's always a, a hazard to, to put all your money in something like that. But I, I'm pretty bullish on the Canadian dollar, and I think mm-hmm. it's actually a nice bonus and a nice way for people who are worried about the U.S. dollar and are worried about inflation to uh, to get involved. And, you know, there's just as many industries there as there are here. I tend to favor uh, companies that are more uh, grounded in, ass- in, in assets, energy companies or uh, or utilities or that in that kind of nature. But we can talk about that again. I'd be happy to come back. Okay, on. excellent. Well, we'll have to have you back again, Roger. Always so much to talk to you about. Uh, so many ideas about practical ways to put cash in the bank with your hard-earned savings. So thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. Thank We're you. We're going to be right back. As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Berry Mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake Mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions at gmail.com. 
That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm very pleased to have with me Frank Bassa. He's the president, CEO, and chairman of Gold Bullion Development Corporation. Uh, Gold Bullion uh, Development Corporation trades on the Toronto Exchange uh, under symbol GBB, trades in the U.S. markets uh, on the pink sheets under the symbol GBBFF. There are 147.4 million shares outstanding, and the last, uh, basically, the stock has been trading around 60, 65 cents, somewhere in that range. Gives it a market cap of around $90 million. Uh, welcome, Frank, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Jay, for having me on your show today. I really appreciate it. Well, it's really great to have you. Um, you really are in the middle of one of the most uh, prolific gold bearing regions in the world along the Cadillac trend in Quebec. Uh, could you tell our listeners just a little bit about the, the history of the Cadillac trend? Or, uh, the Cadillac trend, yes. Uh, the Cadillac trend, uh, for those who don't know it, uh, actually is uh, several hundred kilometers long. And majority of major discoveries uh, over, a, over a period of almost a century or more have been along this trend. And it basically starts in Quebec and, uh, depending who you speak to, ends up actually in northern Manitoba. And uh, if you look at the structure, you'll notice there's all kinds of mines along this thing that have been developed, uh, many near-surface deposit of uh, multi-million ounce, and many very deep mines that are also multi-million ounce. Mm -hmm. uh, being on the trend is like just having the right address. And if you're on a trend, the chances are of you finding something are quite significant. The chances of you finding something large, very, very possible. Mm -hmm. Well, you have had some considerable uh, exploration success so far on your flagship property, which is the Granada Gold property. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about what have you discovered so far? Do you have a 43101 resource calculation at this point in time? Well, what we did was originally when we acquired the, the property, Jay, this was about four or five years ago, uh, we only had a very small land package of about 71 hectares. And what we decided to do, because there's a lot of exploration already done on the property, it was actually operated in the 30s and an, an extensive amount of uh, exploration done in the 80s and 90s, uh, we decided to say, you know, let's have a fresh look at this. Uh, we've been through these type of deposits in the past on a trend. And we said, let's do a very large bulk sample to see and quantify what we call the grade of the deposit. So we did about a 140,000 ton bulk sample, 30,000 tons of it went through a mill, which we controlled. And uh, what we got back was uh, about 1.62 grams near surface. And then we also sampled the waste pile, and that came in at 1.75. So at that time, we thought, you know, it must be something more to this deposit. So we quietly... Uh, uh, decided to acquire a lot of ground, so uh, we went from the 71 hectares to about 4,900 hectares right now. And as we're doing that, we started to compile all the historical data, developed a GEMCOM model, tested it, and uh, it was a very small drill program of only about 2,800 meters, and we immediately hit these very wide widths, uh, widths of about 100 meters, grading about one gram. And then uh, we said, okay, this looks pretty good. Uh, so we did a phase two drill program about 25,000 meters, thinking that with that 25,000 meters, we should be able to find the extensions of the structure. Mm -hmm. And then we found out even with the 25,000 meters, we're way beyond what we thought we had a plumery block model of what we call a long bar zone. Uh, and now we have a 50,000 meter phase uh, three program uh, ongoing. 
And what we're looking to see is can we find the extent of the structure. So right now we're open on east-west. It seems to be trending east-west. We still haven't found the extensions on the east-west structure. Uh, we're also drilling north and south. It seems to be a little wider than we originally thought. Mm. And we still haven't hit bottom. Uh, originally, we were supposed to go down to 300 meters vertical. We're down to 450, or looking at drilling down to 450 uh, uh, meters vertical. Uh, so what we did was, for a lot of our investors, they asked us a lot of questions. And says, what do you think we have here? And I says, well, uh, we, we have what we call, uh, we did a conceptual uh, preliminary um, um, uh, what do I call non-431 or compliant uh, uh, calculation, and we came in about 2.4 to 2.6 million ounces of gold. Mm -hmm. it, this is still, like I said, uh, Jay, conceptual non-431 or compliant. So a lot of our investors felt fairly comfortable. Mm -hmm. We had a few analysts on our property. Most of the Europeans came out. They're very curious what we're doing, and now we found out that uh, uh, you know the structure is not small. It seems to be running. A, mm -hmm. It appears could be a few kilometers trending east. Uh, what we've done is built roads out to that area so we can drill that year-round, nonstop, regardless of the weather. Mm -hmm. I might mention to the listeners of this show who aren't that familiar with the, um, with the economics of gold mining that with gold currently priced at over $1,300, uh, and I'd like to point out to my listeners also that the real price of gold has risen since the Lehman Brothers' decline, that there are a growing number of projects that are highly profitable uh, with the grades of a gram or, or around a gram per ton. That's not saying we're not making a statement. I'm certainly not making a statement, and I know you're not either, Frank, that uh, that uh, by any stretch of the imagination that this is a slam-dunk profitable mine. You don't have a 43-101 yet, but I must say it certainly does look promising. I want to ask you, so the east-west um, dimensions of this so far, you say several kilometers it looks like, and, and could you also tell us a little bit about the north-south dimension? Well, what's happening is we're also looking at whatever else everybody else is doing around us or in the same area, and there's people to the east of us, considerable distance actually, could be the same trend, and they're also hitting uh, what I call economic mineralization mm -hmm. and very positive results. We have somebody to the south-southwest of us also are hitting very nice results. Could be the same structure. Uh, mm -hmm. If it is, it's certainly a few kilometers long. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a very large part of it. Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to just stay on our property, but I'm very pleased that the other people are finding it as well. So it kind of confirms there's something quite large there. Mm -hmm. Well, you're, you're looking at uh, you're looking at vein structures and then mineralization uh, between the veins too. Lower grade mineralization is that is that what you're finding there? Well, what's happening is uh, originally we thought we only had two vein structures because it was mined historically on these two veins. And when we did a bulk sample, we found that there must be something more than these two vein structures because the, the waste ran. And so then when we started compiling the data, we found we have between 9 to 22 vein structures, and actually we stopped counting them. <laughs> and then we also found what we call the halo effect. There's a very large, wide area around each vein which can contains mineralization. And, mm -hmm. and uh, when you drill through all these structures, you know, and we had one of our best spectacular holes we released uh, uh, just a little while ago where we had about 360 meters running 0.6 grams, mm. which we never thought would have in that area. Wow. Yeah, that is, that, that is very interesting, I must say. Um, I'm wondering, um, so when, when do you expect you'll have a 43-101 compliant resource? Uh, we're trying to target something early next year. Um, what's happening right now is everybody in the area who has a gold property is drilling it. They're sending it all to the same labs we're using, yeah. and a lot of the labs are backlogged. Yes. And uh, so, you know, we're just, uh, like everybody else, waiting, uh, you know, to get this done. And I think as the price of gold goes higher, and more and more of these deposits will be drilled. 
Uh, you know, so we're very comfortable we have something. Uh, if it doesn't arrive uh, as we, we feel it should in the second quarter uh, of next year, then we'll give an update to our investors and, and you know, the potential what we have. But uh, we're targeting somewhere early next year for a, for a preliminary, a preliminary 43101 uh, resource calculation on what we've done to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, we're way beyond what we thought we had. Uh, we had a little preliminary block model, which originally we thought was only 300 by 600 meters. We called it long bar zone, and uh, what we've done is we had a very excellent geological consultant group working for us by the name of Genevar. They expanded this thing by uh, by an order of magnitude. So, uh, uh, you know, I think we have a long way to go. Uh, we have a lot more to drill, and I, I, I right now, uh, even with this 50,000 meters, We'll see how far we can go with this and see if there is a, uh, you know, that possibility for that large extension. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly would say that, you know, I think you said you're drilling, you've drilled 450 meters so far? No, what we did was we thought that the depth, uh, vertical depth of this depository was only down to 300 meters. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you know, we're, we're looking at probably taking it down to 450 vertical uh, meters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of deposits in that area are down to, you know, two to three kilometers. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying ours will be that, no. but you know, it seems to me there's a fair amount of these on the Cadillac trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thought we, we were limited down to the 300 meters, but it appears uh, there's mineralization beyond that now. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, uh, you know, the the more the larger lateral extent, both uh, in both directions, well, especially north and south, that gives you the the geometry you need to go to depth on an open pit possibility. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're thinking open pit here. The mineralization is on or near surface, right? Yeah, everything is near surface, Jay. Um, uh, you know, basically our mineralization starts uh, at about three, uh, three meters, three and a half meters. Uh, there's very little overburden. Basically, you're driving right on the on the outcrops. Um, the thing is, right now, is we have a very large land package. The intent is to develop this as a very large, low-grade and near-surface deposit. We've looked at other deposits similar to this in the area. They've, they've had a lot of success. Uh, it's not uh, unrealistic to see that uh, you know these other deposits are looking at producing gold at a 300 to 400 dollars an ounce. Mm. Uh, there's also deposits similar to this in Alaska. It's uh, they're you know they're running at about half a gram, very profitably. So the potential is that there's something could be there. Uh, mm-hmm. But we still have a, a, a couple of years ahead of us to truly really quantify what we have. May, uh, have you done any metallurgical work yet uh, on, the, on, this, on these samples? Yeah, the original uh, test, when we did that very large bulk sample, the whole purpose was basically to evaluate uh, grade and also recovery. And, and at that time, you know, when you put 30,000 tons through a mill, uh, you're fairly confident that the grade was there, and we're very comfortable uh, with the recovery. We've got about 89%, 90% recovery. And then what we did was uh, we took some phase one drill cores and we removed all the free gold out of it. All the high-grade gold was taken out. Mm-hmm. And we sent that out for metallurgical test work. And we want to see, you know, can we still get good recoveries using just conventional uh, techniques that are out there right now? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we use a combination of uh, gravity, uh, flotation, cyanidation, and it, it averaged over 90% on mm. very low grades, which was about half a gram. Mm-hmm. And that kind of impressed us because usually when you go to these low grades, uh, you don't get these recoveries. And uh, you know, we averaged half a gram, and it was 90% plus. Oh, that looks very, very positive. Uh, any idea when... Uh, I don't want to jump the gun, but, you know, we're always looking into the future. Uh, economic studies could be a couple of years away, perhaps? Well, what we did was, originally when we did this bulk sample, we also looked at it economically. We came up with a figure for the cost per ounce, mm-hmm. very comfortable. 
Uh, actually, what we're doing right now, uh, Jay, is uh, we're not just drilling. Uh, we're doing a lot of things at the same time. We're also doing our baseline in the hydrogeological study. Uh, the site originally had permits. We had them all revoked. Uh, we're re-permitting the property as a large, low-grade near-surface deposit. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also doing metallurgical studies. Uh, we did some cash flow analysis already, uh, in-house only. And we're looking at a, at a geological firm that can uh, take us to the next level. So basically, hopefully, uh, we have defined uh, the extent of this deposit in the next two years. As that is being developed, we'll also you know, uh, try to do a pit design, come up with a preliminary, you know, uh, an actual resource number, mm -hmm. and then also what kind of cost for us we're going to be uh, looking at. Uh, so all these things are actually moving forward. Uh, we're very comfortable with what we see right now, uh, and uh, we just don't know how big it is. Yeah, it's very, it is a very exciting story, I must say. Do you see yourselves as becoming a producer, or are you largely an exploration company uh, to, to drill up a world-class deposit and then, uh, and then perhaps hand it off to a major? Or, or what do you think, or will that depend on how big this becomes, perhaps? Uh, there's multiple factors. So what we did, uh, Jay, is we actually brought people onto our board and operational people that we have on, in the field that actually can develop these deposits. Mm -hmm. um, we right now are just looking at ourselves as an exploration company. Uh, there's two groups or two mining companies that have knocked very hard on our doors already. Mm -hmm. uh, very interested in seeing what we're doing. Uh, we feel uh, they might be potential uh, people that might take us out uh, mm -hmm. at a future date. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's difficult to tell. You know, in two years, anything can happen. Uh, we still don't know, like I said, we still don't know how big this thing is, and we're still trying to figure out um, uh, how big it is. Mm -hmm. It is really exciting. Um, do you uh, – what uh, – how are your finances now? You mentioned you have a, a very large drill program. I think you said, uh, was it 50,000? 50, 50,000 meters. Uh, actually, we're well-financed. We have about $10 million in the Treasury. Mm -hmm. And being in Quebec, uh, the way it works is uh, we're only raising hard dollars, and I think that's fair to all our investors. We have a lot of American investors. Mm -hmm. uh, we originally did flow through. We won't do it anymore. And, uh, you know, by using hard dollars in Quebec, you get anywhere from 35 to 42% of your dollars back from the, mm -hmm. from the Quebec government. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you spend 10 million, you might get another 3 to 4 million back. Oh, uh, we have a lot of warrants out there that people are exercising. So we're comfortable with the money that we have. Uh, the people are happy with us. Uh, every time we did a finance, we got oversubscribed by an order of magnitude. Mm -hmm. um, I think the project is, is good for the investors. They're pleased with it. And I, I'm very pleased the way we're moving forward with it. And most of the warrants are in the money now, I take it? They're all in the money. I mean, all of them are in the money. Yeah. yeah. And that would, and uh, I don't know if you have this figure at your fingertips, but how much would that bring in the till if everything was exercised? Oh, geez, I, I, sorry, uh, Jack. Anyway, it's, uh, anyway, you're well-funded. Uh, we yeah. hear what you're saying, and, and uh, yeah. uh, the investors can take a look at that information, which I'm yeah. sure is publicly available on your oh, website. Yeah. Yeah. Your website, which is what? Let's tell our listeners that. Uh, the best thing is if you can go just uh, – uh, uh, we're ch actually changing our website. We might be changing it to shorten certain things, but it's goldbullyondevelopmentcorp.com. Okay, that's easy enough to do. What would you say – I mean, everything sounds really, really good here. Um, we have a gold bull market of a lifetime, I'm telling my subscribers and my listeners on this radio show. Uh, what I'm hearing you say t has me excited, quite frankly, uh, especially the metallurgical, uh, the metallurgical data that you just talked about. Uh, and the size and the you know open-endedness and and also the infrastructure. You're in Quebec. Uh, you mentioned the political, the favorable political situation there. Also, infrastructure is there. I mean, it has, would seem to have everything going for you, Frank. But 
you know, this is not a risk-free business. What do you think the biggest risk would be for shareholders at this point in time? Kind of hard to say, Jay. There's so many things we can't control, you know. Yeah. You know, like uh, gold uh, price. You know, yeah, I don't control the gold price. I don't control the world economy. Uh, and the only thing I can control is basically is the, the exploration, the drill program to this uh, degree that we're doing it right now. Um, you know, anything can happen. I mean, we, we, we can't, uh, you know, right now the only thing I, I have, uh, and I think everybody's in the same situation, we have delays because there's so many people doing exploration mm-hmm. in the area. Uh, there's a critical shortage of very good quality people, uh, which, uh, uh, you know, everybody's suffering from. But, you know, uh, you know, working up here in, in northern Quebec, everybody seems to get along. Uh, you know, everybody has the right, what I call, uh, a spirit, uh, uh, or, you know, they have passion for the projects. Uh, you know, we, we run our project 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. We're nonstop. Uh, we'll take some time off for Christmas because I think everybody's well-deserved uh, to, to get those two weeks off. But uh, uh, hard to say, Jay, really, really hard to say. But all I know is, like, I think we're well-positioned, well-placed. Uh, if we have a few bumps in the market, uh, I'm good with that. Yeah. Well, you seem to be well positioned, Frank. It really is a very, very interesting story and one I certainly have to must for the uh, for the benefit of my own subscribers consider it uh, for inclusion in my own newsletter. Um, I really like what I what I hear now. Is there anything else you might want to tell our listeners before we conclude our discussion at this point in time? I think, Jay, what might be very good is because I know we had a lot of European investors and they really didn't know where we are and what we're doing. And uh, and uh, what we did was we made a video, and it's actually mm-hmm. on YouTube. And if you type in Gold Bullion Development uh, Corp., uh, uh, you'll find a video about us, and you'll see the mayor of the town of Ruinaranda talking mm-hmm. about the infrastructure. You'll see our geological consultants, uh, very conservative that they are, even saying that it's kind of an exciting property. It shows you how close the airport is. Basically, you can land there, and mm-hmm. within 15 to 20 minutes, you're on our property. There's a paved road to our property. Uh, I mean, it's the ideal place for any geological people to uh, to work. Uh, you know, they can go home every day if they wish. Yeah. Uh, you know, so have a look at that. It's on YouTube, and you type in Gold Bullion Development uh, Corp. Dot, no, just Gold Bullion Development Corp., and uh, you'll see the video. It's yes, fun, in fact, a nine-minute video. In fact, Frank, I saw it myself, and I must say, you know, as, as a person who's traveled a lot and done a lot of work in Quebec, I know exactly what you're talking about, but it is an excellent video. It lays out your story very, very well. I congratulate you on that. And I want to thank you also for coming on the show and sharing this very exciting story with our listeners. Frank, until the next time, um, I hope to talk to you again sometime soon. But, folks, that's all we have time for now. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with the wrap-up on today's show. I'll be here with my partner, Roger Wiegand. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, we are right back here. Uh, I am your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, We only have a minute or two of time, so I'm going to just quickly wrap up this week's show. First of all, I want to apologize to our sponsors uh, for the second hour of this show. I've failed to name them. They are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Coral Gold, North Atlantic Resources, Adventure Gold, Brigus Gold, Golden Minerals Gold, Bullion Development, who we just talked to, and Metanor Resources. Thanks to all of those folks for making this show financially viable. I want to thank each of you for listening. Uh, I would like to just make one comment before we wrap up here or during the wrap-up session. I did a quick check uh, with today's gold price rising very dramatically, equity markets and a lot of the commodities on the weak side. We're now seeing the gold to Rogers raw material uh, 
ratio at 40%. The highest ever was 44% after the Lehman Brothers decline. And why I keep bringing this up is because as the real price of gold rises, it is extremely bullish for the gold mining companies. And we are seeing record profits come in now, uh, if not record profits, very high robust profits from the large mining companies and they are now looking down the food chain to the junior mining companies, the kind of companies we're talking to here on this show. Many of these companies are having some very exciting exploration results. They're building world-class deposits. There is going to be lots of money made, I believe, already has been, but I think the junior gold mining sector is where the really big profits are going to be made from this bull market in gold, which I have said time and time again is the bull market of a lifetime. Uh, we are going to just mention next week's uh, next week's guest is going to be Adrian Day. Uh, Adrian has written a book called Investing in Resources, How to Profit from the Outsized Potential and Avoid the Risks. We had Adrian on with us not long ago. We're going to focus in on some of the unique metals markets, commodities markets that he's focused on. It should be a very interesting time next week. That's all the time we have for this week. And I want to say again, in closing, uh, I want to thank uh, Tacey Trump, my senior executive producer, Ruben Colombe, operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show possible from a logistics point of view. And thanks to each of you for listening to this show. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't real.